You're listening to The Edge with Aaron Karolnik, giving you the expert advantage in the world of gambling and fantasy. Episode 2 of The Edge, the daytime edition of the program. I am Aaron Korolnik. We're here every Thursday at 10 a.m. with a new theme song, The Edge of Glory. Shout out to Lady Gaga. And the Grammy's actually going on Sunday night. We will have some wagers for you to make a little bit later in the program. But today is the one-year anniversary of, I guess, the beginning of our realization that our world is changing dramatically. And... Generally speaking, anniversaries are meant to be celebrated, and really there's nothing celebratory about everything that's transpired in the last year. I mean, think about how the world has changed for the worse, all the sickness and financial disrepair, a lot of sad stuff. But I think we need to use a day like today to look ahead to all the great stuff we have coming in our world, and namely in the sports world. We think about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Raptors. We have Major League Baseball coming up. And why don't we begin today's show bringing in my boy Josh Lundberg, a man who I've known for a very long time, dating back to our days in Centennial College, hosting a podcast called the Sports Radio Jacks. Of course, Josh has gone on to the great heights of being the Raptors reporter at TSN. And me, well, I'm sitting here doing this show. Joshua, good morning. How are you? Good, man. What's happening, AK? We're doing great. And let's start with the topic du jour. I mentioned the one-year anniversary of the Toronto Raptors, I guess the NBA as a whole, the Rudy Gobert night, the day that sports was put on pause. And you have a column that was just released on tsn.ca, an oral history of that night from a Raptors perspective. You interviewed Bobby Webster, Kate Burness, Matt Devlin, uh, Max Kerman from the Arkells, who was present at a charity event. Just finished the column. Fantastic work. Why don't you take us through how it all came together and what you learned putting all these stories together in this oral history of the one-year anniversary of the pause of the NBA? Yeah, it was surreal to look back at it. I know it's been a long year, but in some ways that feels like yesterday. I was actually at that event that night, Nick Nurse's foundation launch, a party at Hotel X, and it was one of two events that the Raptors were holding in downtown Toronto that night. And it's amazing because obviously we're learning more and more about the coronavirus every day at that time. And I mean, we still are a year later, but at the time it, it still seemed very much like a distant threat. So like for me, I'm aware of it. I'm uh, a bit concerned about it as I think a lot of people were. So you're, you're bringing around, I had my hand sanitizer with me there. You're starting to keep distance a little bit, but at the same time, I mean, at that event, there were 200 people in a pretty small space on the third level of the hotel and the, in the ballroom there. And it was still, sort of a, a normal night until very quickly it wasn't. And I just remember being at, the, at that event and almost by the minute, certainly by the hour, we're looking down at our phones and more information is coming out. We're seeing the delay in the OKC Utah game. We're, we're seeing that Tom Hanks tests positive. He announces that he and his wife tested positive at 9.15 that evening. And then the big moment, the, 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 the moment that the news broke, Rudy Gobert tested positive, came at 9.27. It was minutes before Nick Nurse was scheduled to go on stage and perform with the Arkells, which in the end they ended up doing. And it was interesting talking to Max that they were sort of looking at each other thinking, okay, well, do we go on now? And people are starting to leave. The crowd is starting to disperse. But uh, 
sort of vintage Nick Nurse just sort of looks around and says, okay, this isn't ideal. This isn't great, but let, let's let's be positive. Let's try and make the best of it. Sort of like when Kawhi left, you know, that's the way that, that Nick generally is. But in terms of what I learned from writing the story, I, I think what I, I didn't know at the time is how quickly the Raptors mobilized after the news broke. And that's what I found out from speaking with Bobby Webster specifically, how they got uh, 50 tests secured at North York General Hospital to make sure that everybody in the Raptors traveling party was tested, how quickly they had to get everybody together and make sure everybody had all the details. By 12 a.m., by midnight, everything was all arranged, and by 2 a.m., everybody was tested and and safe and in quarantine. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was a it was a night, I think, from, from speaking to everybody, the, the consensus, the one thing that everybody said, even though everyone had a different perspective, the one thing everybody said was they're not forgetting that night anytime soon. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Josh, is a fantastic story. If you haven't checked it out yet, I mean, it's only been up for about half an hour, but I encourage you to go to tsn.ca or Josh's Twitter account to read the entire story. A very compelling tale, and you're absolutely right. One year ago, the Rudy Gobert night, I think it's a night that we will all remember. Looking ahead to bigger and brighter things, unfortunately, the Raptors still afflicted by the coronavirus in a different way now. Five players under COVID protocols as they return to play tonight after the NBA All-Star break. They're playing the Atlanta Hawks a game you can hear on TSN 1050. Now, back in February, the Raptors played the Hawks, lost by 11, a very high-scoring game. But without all of, talking about Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, and OG Ananobi tonight, amongst others, Raptors are 2.5-point dogs against the Atlanta Hawks tonight. Do you think that number is reflective of what's going on with this team as far as who's in and who's out? Yeah, for sure. I mean, how, how could it not? It, the what what makes it so tough trying to predict what the Raptors are going to do on any given night, whether they're at full strength or whether they're undermanned and they're severely undermanned tonight, is they've been so inconsistent. And I, I imagine that that drives betters crazy because you never really know with this team what what to expect. I mean, even if you look at the two game sample size we have of them missing those five guys including the three key starters, Siakam, Van Vliet, and Ananobi, um, they came out flat against Detroit. I mean, even listening to Nick Nurse talk yesterday, he was, like us, watching that game from home. And he said that, well, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of fans, and even some media probably turned that game off. He had to sit through and watch it, and it was like torture for him just based on how poorly his team played against the Pistons, and obviously they lose that game. And I'll say this with some confidence here. If the Raptors come out tonight and play like that, regardless of who they have and who they don't have, they lose this game by a lot. But, of course, a couple days after that, they play the Celtics and play relatively well. They lose that game, but it was a hard-fought loss. And I'll say this, if they play like that tonight against this Hawks team, they probably win. So like usual, it's just a question of which Raptors team shows up. You would hope and think that after the break, getting some getting some rest, and now maybe with the lift of getting their head coach back, they still have the, the players out, but they've got Nick Nurse back, that maybe they, they come out and that there isn't that lack of focus and energy and, and, and effort that we saw against Detroit. But, I mean, your guess is as good as mine at this point. This Raptors team has been a mixed bag all season long. 
You're listening to The Edge here on TSN 1050. I'm Aaron Karolnik, and we're talking to Josh Lumberg, TSN's Raptors reporter. So, Josh, two weeks till the NBA trade deadline, and I'm sure you've heard, I don't know if you've heard this, but Kyle Lowry, there's some debate whether or not he should be traded or not, whether or not he will be traded. That's the question, and you wouldn't be surprised to hear that certain sports books have put out odds on whether or not Lowry remains a Raptor past the March 25th NBA trade deadline. He is plus 150 to be traded. So the odds favor him staying in Toronto past the deadline. Do you agree with that? I, I do. Yeah, like contrary to some of the things that are out there right now, the rumors and all of that, the most likely scenario is that Kyle Lowry is a Toronto Raptor on March 26th, the day after the deadline and the day after his 35th birthday, coincidentally. But yeah, I mean, I, you never want to say never in the NBA being what it is and, and how quickly things can change. And, and yeah, I mean, is there a scenario where the next eight games, the eight games between now and the trade deadline, if, if things don't go well for the Raptors, if it's looking like they may fall out of it in a very wide-open Eastern Conference right now, is there a scenario where Kyle Lowry goes to Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri and says, I'd like to be moved to a contender? Maybe, maybe. And I think the Raptors would accommodate that. Is there a scenario the other way around where somebody just blows the Raptors away with an offer that they, they don't anticipate, they don't see coming. It's an offer that's eye-popping, that they can't refuse. And then they go to Kyle and, and ask him if he's okay with being moved to Team X or whatever it is. Yeah, maybe, but I think for a lot of different reasons, those are unlikely. We don't really know what the market is going to look like. Right now, we know that there are only a few teams that could really conceivably put together that type of offer for Lowry, and only a few teams probably that he'd be willing to go to. Philadelphia is really the only team that stands out in terms of a team that makes sense. They're a contender. They could use them. I mean, every team could use them, but it's just a matter of whether or not it makes sense in terms of the, the their whether or not they, they have got a realistic chance at winning the championship, and then ultimately whether they could put the pieces together, whether they can match the salary and entice the Raptors enough with young players, prospects, and draft picks. So Philadelphia would probably be that team, and of course, it's Lowry's hometown. But I, I just think in order to wow the Raptors enough to uh, make that move, considering what Lowry means to the franchise and the fact that they still want to go forward with him and, and have his bird rights in case they want to bring him back over the summer, I, I just don't see it happening and on the other side of it Lowry to me looks like a guy that's that's really happy right now that's in a good place in life that um, is making good money has a, a good family situation is living it up in, in Tampa right now golfing we know he's an avid golfer he's on the links every couple days um, I get no indication from speaking with him or speaking with people around the team that he's unhappy or wants out. So uh, I don't think it's going to happen. What happens in free agency this summer when Lowry is unrestricted, that's a, a different question. But I think he spends the rest of the season at minimum with the Toronto Raptors. So if you can find Lowry at minus 200 to stay a Raptor past the trade, the trade deadline, Josh would recommend 
maybe finding that, throwing a little sprinkle on it. Let's look at the NBA Eastern Conference odds. You won't be surprised to find out the Brooklyn Nets are favored to win the East and represent the East in the NBA Finals, followed by Milwaukee, followed by the Philadelphia 76ers at plus 500. Then you have a three-way tie between Boston, Miami, and Toronto at plus 1,200. Now, you won't be surprised, Josh, when I saw the name LaMarcus Aldridge pop up as he and the Spurs look to mutually part ways. It piqued my interest, one, because perhaps he could solve the big man issue for the Raptors, and two, it would right the wrong that was made all the way back in 2006 when the Raptors selected Andrea Bargnani over LaMarcus Aldridge. What do you think the potential of LaMarcus joining the Raptors is? And I understand there's salary implications to this. And is there, a, is there at all likelihood that he's bought out or traded? How do you think that shakes out with LaMarcus Aldridge? Yeah, I, I think it's unlikely. I mean, he, he obviously addresses a, a lot of their issues in the front court. If he were to end up in Toronto, he's not the player that he was at 35 years old now, but he's still a, a, a skilled big man, a guy that can um, step out and shoot the ball and, and obviously bring veteran leadership. I think he would be a good fit in that regard in, in a lot of ways. Um, but it's sort of similar to the Andre Drummond situation where, like, the player makes sense, but he's tied to a contract that makes it really tough to trade for. So for uh, Aldridge, he's making $24 million this season. It's the final year of his contract. In order to take him on, you've got to uh, part with at, at least – you've got to send out at least $19 million. So it's really tough to see the Raptors getting to that number without including Norman Powell's contract, and it's really tough to see them parting with Norman Powell on a deal for LaMarcus Aldridge. I just Based on how well Norm is playing and the value that he has to this team as one of their best scorers and one of the most efficient scorers in the NBA right now, I just don't see that happening. It would be really tough to get the, the contracts together. Um, without including him or Chris Boucher, and I don't see that happening either. So basically, the only real chance I, I see that the Raptors have of getting LaMarcus Aldridge is if nobody is willing to trade for him before March 25th, and ultimately the Spurs buy him out. But then the problem becomes, and this is a familiar one for the Raptors every year, it seems like, once a player is bought out, they're on the, the market, um, they could sign with anybody, and nobody really has an advantage because you're, you're, nobody really can offer him more than, than the minimum. Nobody will offer him more than the minimum. Um, so there are going to be more desirable destinations for him. Now, I mean, maybe, um, maybe he really likes Tampa. Maybe he really likes the Raptors, and that's ultimately what, what sways a guy in that situation. But obviously a lot of those guys, veteran players, at the end of their careers, they're looking for championships, and there are always going to be teams like the Lakers or like the Nets, like the Sixers, Clippers, whatever, that can offer a better chance of winning a championship than the Raptors can. So, I mean, maybe the Raptors can, can offer the idea of playing time because obviously they can offer more playing time just based on their issues at center than some of these other teams. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think if it comes down to a buyout situation, which it doesn't even sound like it will from LaMarcus Aldridge because I think somebody will trade for him, um, the, 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 he's going to be in high demand. It's going to be tough for, for the Raptors, I think, to get him. 
Josh, so no center has won the NBA's MVP since the year 2000 when Shaq did it, but Joel Embiid, now the betting favorite to win this year's award at plus 200, followed by LeBron at plus 250, followed by Nikola Jokic at plus 375. Between those three, and if you look further down the board, Giannis, Harden, Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, where do you see the value, and where do you think this award will ultimately go? Yeah, I, I mean, Joel Embiid is having a really good season, Maybe it's just like my, my bias as a Raptors reporter because I, I see him every year, including this year against the Raptors, and, and they always seem to neutralize him. I, I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing him winning it at, at, at this point. Um, LeBron James, you can sort of cross out to me because you, you can make an argument that LeBron should win it every year. And, and this year especially, he's still putting up the numbers even in his advanced age, and he, he's on – a Lakers team that's playing really well, but there's just something unsexy, I think, about LeBron James for MVP voters. Every year they sort of overlook him. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't go with LeBron there either. I think Giannis, he's won it a couple of years in a row, and the Bucks are, are having a bit of a down year. Um, in, in terms of value, I kind of like Jokic. I, I mean, he's having, you mentioned that centers don't generally win it, but he's not your typical center. He does a bit of everything. He's having an incredible year putting up some historic numbers over there in, in Denver. And I think, I mean, the Nuggets are going to have to have a better second half for him to win it. He's not going to win it on a sixth-place team in the West. But that's why I sort of like the idea of maybe anticipating a run from the Nuggets. They've had some really strong second halves of the season in years past. They're coming on strong here recently. I think they've won four games in a row. Their schedule doesn't look super daunting to me. So I think if you if you go with Jokic here, you're anticipating a couple things. Obviously, he, he's had an MVP caliber season. You're anticipating that that continues or that he, he starts playing even better than that. But you're also anticipating the Nuggets coming, coming on strong here. And, and I, I kind of like that when you look at the Western Conference and the way that it's, it's, um, it's going right now. And we definitely saw the Nuggets come on strong, definitely in the bubble last year. You talk about Jamal Murray and Jokic. That tandem was as good as anybody in the NBA. And you, my friend, are as good as anybody in the Raptors media neighborhood. Your your column on TSN.ca was fantastic, and uh, I encourage our audience to check it out uh, when they can. Thank you for doing this, buddy. Thanks, AK. Talk soon, man. All right, that is Josh Lewenberg, our TSN Raptors reporter. And, uh, yeah, make sure to check out his column. Great stuff. And uh, Raptors and Hawks tonight on TSN 1050. I am looking at what's going on in the Players' Championship right now. Rory McIlroy out in 43, 7 over through 9. Oh, my. He won the tournament in 2019. He ain't winning it in 2021. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But coming up next... It's Dom Lecician from The Athletic. He provides his daily betting guide for everybody who subscribes to The Athletic. We'll talk about the Leafs and the Jets and the big stories around the NHL with him next on The Edge. I need you to hold on. Heaven is a place not too far away. We are back here on The Edge on this Thursday morning. I'm Aaron Karolnik. You're listening to the Justin Bieber song, which the video the song was released yesterday a love letter to the toronto maple leafs and our next guest writes a daily love letter to the minnesota wild who are his own personal atm when it comes to betting on the nhl it is dom lecician from the athletic who joins us now what's up dom how are you 
Uh, not too bad. Feeling good after <laughs> yesterday's massive wild win. It is funny how, and listen, I, I follow you. I, I go through your NHL betting guy daily on The Athletic. I know how you and your uh, collective of Minnesota Wild supporters, it's been a very profitable run. And you talk about Kaprizov and Zuccarello. Things are going great in Minnesota. And you just kind of latch on to a team. You back them, and they're on a red-hot roll. They're piling up the goals, and they're piling up the cash for you. It's amazing. I feel it, it was really weird. uh Early in the season, I feel like I was, I'm betting a lot more than I usually do. And Minnesota was like the first like big bet of the season. And they went down 3-1 early. They were playing the Kings. I'm not, I feel like I wanted to watch that game. But Kaprizov is just so entertaining. And they came back down 3-1 and won that game. And I sort of developed a Twitter relationship with the wild social media account. And it sort of blew up from there where I'm just going all in every time the wild play because it's so fun and for some reason the market isn't uh, valuing them the way i think they should be well there you go and let's use that as a way to transition to tonight's maple leafs jets game and i'm curious your thoughts about how odds makers view this game listing the leafs as minus 180 favorite so you'd have to bet 180 dollars to win one hundred dollars and this coming off a four three loss to the Jets on Tuesday night. Are you surprised to see the Leafs so heavily favored in this one? No, I think that is pretty close and I think anyone who watched that game would probably agree given the fact that the Leafs completely dominated the Jets for the entire night and if it wasn't for Connor Hellebuck putting on probably one of his better performances of the season, it would have been a very different game. Um, I don't have a bet on that game. I think I have minus 184 myself, and I think I need a little bit more. And I'm also waiting to see if Jack Campbell starts because I think he adds a little more value to the Leafs than Anderson does. Ooh, spicy take. I love <laughs> yeah. it. I love it. So let me get your take on trends when you're betting on hockey. Now, the over is 14-4 and four in the last 18 meetings between the Maple Leafs and the Jets. Does that mean anything to you? Usually, no. I, uh, I generally don't bet on, uh, on totals because I feel like it'd be, it's very tilting. There's always those last-minute sequences with empty nets and it's three, two. If you have like under five and a half, you're sweating. I just, I don't want any part of that, but just in general, I don't really look at trends. I look at just what I think the number should be based on the stats from each team. Dom Lesition from the athletic is our guest here on the edge. I am Aaron Karolnik and I'm looking at the odds for the North division and the Leafs are huge, huge favorites minus five fifty six. So that is a significant, significant margin over Edmonton and Winnipeg, who are both both plus 700 and plus 750, respectively. Now, the Leafs are four points up on Edmonton, five points up on Winnipeg. We know there's still eight games to be played between the Leafs and the Jets this year. Do you think minus 500 is a price that's reflective of reality, or is that just too much love for the very public Maple Leafs? It's a bit too much love, but I think it's warranted because the God, the bookmaker obviously has to put some big on it. And I have the Leafs at 78%, so it's in that ballpark. And once you factor in the odds for everyone else and the, the cut that the oddsmaker makes, then there's really as probably as representative of you can get of the North Division. 
So, Dom, I think back to 2019 when the story of the St. Louis Blues and the Gloria run and how someone had them at, what, like 250 to 1 to win the Cup on a $1,000 wager, and it was one of the great betting stories of all time. And I'm looking at this year, and I'm seeing St. Louis at 25 to 1, the Flyers at 25 to 1, the Washington Capitals at 25 to 1, the Winnipeg Jets at 40 to 1. Are there any dart throws on some of the teams that are lower down in the standings currently but might be reflective of some long-term success, maybe a long playoff run? Well, where are the Wilds? <laughs> That's your team. So you, you are actually a believer in the Minnesota Wild as a Stanley Cup contender? Uh, I, I think so. I, I, my model actually has them better than the Golden Knights at the moment, which is wow. a bit crazy. But if you look at their five-on-five numbers this year. Usually the Golden Knights are this elite possession team, and this year they've only been average. And last night they were territorially dominated by the Wild, who I think are second best in getting as many goals as well. So I think they're a lot better than they're given credit for, and I don't know what their odds are, but I feel like I'm I'm seeing on Bodog it's like 22-1, to so... That's probably still a bit too high. Um, I'd probably want a little bit more. I, in general, I think the futures market is its hard to get good value anymore. You're not going to get a St. Louis type of bet, but I do like the Wild as, as a bit of a long shot. Yeah, and, and if you're talking about a dart throw, would I rather bet on the Leafs at plus 700 or Washington at plus 2,500? I mean, it's clearly Washington, and maybe the Leafs have a better chance to get it at the north, but Washington is not a team that's that's void of, of talent. That's pretty clear to say. Uh, let's talk about the Hart Trophy and Dreisaitl putting up uh, three goals, two assists last night against the Ottawa Senators. He and McDavid now first and second in league scoring. McDavid at 48 points. Now, McDavid is the favorite to win the Hart Trophy. You won't be surprised to know that. But Patrick Kane, second. Austin Matthews, third. But I wonder if perhaps Leon Dreisaitl could be making a run at this. How do you handicap the Hart Trophy odds? And is there someone maybe down the board? I don't know if maybe you like Joel, Joel Erickson X, someone from the wild. Uh, give me the load on how you feel the Hart her trophy odds will play out. I I really do feel like it's McDavid's to lose. Uh, I think we learned last year when Dreisaitl won, despite not having very good defensive numbers, that if you lead the league in points and your team makes the playoffs, there's a very good chance you are winning the Hart Trophy. And McDavid hasn't won a while. He's been amazing this year. He's very obviously the best player in the world. And as long as the Oilers are just in the running for the playoffs, I feel like it'll be very hard for most writers to not vote for him. Dom Lecision from The Athletic is our guest here on The Edge. And a very fascinating game tonight between the Montreal Canadiens and the Calgary Flames. The debut of Daryl Sutter, maybe I guess the debut 2.0 of Daryl Sutter with the Flames. Montreal playing their third game in four nights after playing an 11 o'clock game last night against Vancouver, a 5-1 win. How does rest factor into your analysis of this game from a betting perspective? And which side do you like between Montreal and Calgary? Uh, yeah, I, I do look at back-to-backs and three games and four nights, but I don't specifically look at a team playing at 11 p.m. Eastern and then traveling across the country, or not across the country, but traveling rather far to play their next game uh, in Calgary. And 
I I do like the Habs because Jake Allen is starting and he's been a lot better than Carey Price over the last two years. But it is a bit concerning with the Sutter factor and the rest factor. But I do know the odds shifted in towards Montreal's favor, so that's probably where the money is. All right, that is Dom Lecision from The Athletic. And, Dom, I'm going to send you a gift. I think maybe a Ryan Hartman jersey, perhaps, or maybe Jared Spurgeon. Whenever your birthday is, I'm going to hook you up with some Minnesota Wild apparel. Uh, my friend, thank you for doing this. We appreciate you uh, joining the show this morning, making your debut, and we'd love to do it again soon. Yep, sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, that is Dom Lecision from The Athletic, a Minnesota Wild super fan. I guess when you start betting on a team and they time and time again come through for you, and I am a guy who likes to place a wager on player props over-under on a certain number of points. So will a guy score a goal? Will a guy score a point? And I've been riding the Minnesota Wild train quite a bit lately as well with, with Kaprizov and with Matt Zuccarello. Those two have been dynamite for the Wild, both close to a point a game. I think Zuccarello is over a point a game, and Kaprizov seems to be the heavy favorite for the Calder Trophy, in spite of him being 23 years old, and a guy like like Tim Stutzla being 18. But there is no um, discerning viewpoint as far as who wins the Calder. Age does not matter as as, as how the trophy is, is dished out, so Kaprizov has as good a case as Stutzla, in spite of being five years older. The Big E, Eric Cohen, is coming up next on The Edge. We're going to talk about NFL free agency, some odds on where some big-name quarterbacks may land. I'm talking about Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, and who is going to start at quarterback for the New England Patriots in the 2021 NFL season. The favorite to be under center for New England will surprise you. I'll tell you who it is next. We'll talk about it with the Big E next on The Edge. All right, it is The Edge on this Thursday morning on TSN 1050. I am Aaron Korolnik. I'm looking at the latest results from the players championship ongoing at tpc sawgrass and all of my picks are playing horrendous golf what are you doing rory mcelroy how are you six over through ten come on patrick canley three over through eight anyways let's bring in uh, eric cohen from tsn edge my good friend what's up buddy how are you, Aaron? Rory McIlroy, six over, and, and we're in, on Thursday? That doesn't seem right. <laughs> I know. It's, well, you ever last week, uh, Tyrrell Hatton was five over on the first in the first round, and then I think he went like 65, 65, and he was actually in the mix on Sunday. So I'm hoping Rory okay. might be able to make a run because I had him at uh, plus 2,200. Maybe it was plus 1,600, yeah. and I had... And I had uh, Patrick Cantlay at plus 2,200. He's three over through 10. So it's not going too well for my picks of the players. Who did you have? Uh, any uh, of your selections you had to tee I, off? I'm actually, no, I'm not a huge golf guy, to be honest with you. But I do know that, um, you know, Scully and, and Hound Dog mm-hmm. and those guys that have been giving out that, the golf picks on TS and Edge have been on fire. Uh, so I know that a lot of guys that, that follow have been cashing in myself. Not so much, but, uh, you know, listen, I mean, if, if it's ever a big tip and there's someone who's got huge value, uh, <laughs> I, I'm on board. I know a few weeks ago they hit a guy at 40 to 1, so, you know, you've learned anything. You can, but I'm not a huge golf guy myself. 
Yeah, if we've learned anything from this conversation, do not listen to anything I say about golf because at least at least this week because it's ugly. It is ugly out there. Yeah. Uh, let, let's talk about what's going on with the NFL, and it's the Ooh. league that never sleeps. Twelve months a year, and free agency begins on March seventeenth, so six days away. And I'm trying to figure out, Big E, who's going to be the quarterback for the New England Patriots in Week 1. Mm. And our good friends on an online sports book have posted the following odds. Cam Newton is the favorite to be the Patriots starting quarterback at 4-1, to followed by Marcus Mariota at 5-1, to Jarrett Stidham 6-1, to Jimmy Garoppolo 8-1, to Deshaun Watson 11-1. to What do you make of the Patriots quarterback situation, and who do you think the value is on? I definitely do not think it's going to be Cam Newton. I think they've definitely parted ways. I think both, uh, you know, the Patriots saw everything they needed to see last year, and and I do not think there'll be a reunion there. Uh, with just those guys being mentioned, I guess Stidham's the favorite because he's already, you know, they 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 do believe that he's got a future at some point. They believed that before they went and signed Cam Newton last year. And the other ones they just don't see happening. I mean, I guess maybe a long shot, um, maybe the Patriots make a move for Russell Wilson. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's a guy who I do believe uh, will be moved. And I know that, you know, wow. odds say that he'll be in Seattle next year, but I, I think there'll be a blockbuster for Russell Wilson. I just feel like the you know, after what what he said about them and what, what they responded with, that uh, there definitely is a chance that there will, you know, that the, the Seattle Seahawks will move on. Um, you know, he he obviously, you know, did not like the amount of times he's being hit. Uh, the, the Seahawks didn't like him speaking out. They have some issues with how much they run the ball. I feel like, you know, it's not as well publicized, obviously, as Deshaun Watson, who's pretty much said, I will not play. Uh, for the Houston Texans to get rid of me, and they're saying no. Uh, I, I do believe that Russell Wilson will be moved, and I think New England uh, is definitely a top spot. I think New England, I think Chicago, um, you know, make the most sense to me. So I think that would be something that you could definitely uh, take, a, take a flyer on and make a lot of money on. Russell Wilson, minus 1,200 to stay in Seattle. So the yep. sports books believe he will stay, but you believe there's a chance that it might be the opposite, which I am very into progressive thinking when it comes to gambling. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on Deshaun Watson. And we have heard all the stories coming out of Houston. He refuses to see, he refuses to commit to playing for them in 2021, mm-hmm. while Houston is refusing to commit to trading him. They're gonna, their, their plan, at least to this point, is to stick with Deshaun Watson as their quarterback. Now, if you look at the odds on where he will play in 2021, the Houston Texans are the favorite at plus 210, followed by Miami, the Jets, Denver. And for me, I'm really interested in Carolina at plus 600, who have been very, very vocal, at least in the news, about upgrading from Teddy Bridgewater. Where do you see the value with Deshaun Watson? Well, I mentioned earlier New England. I think New England might be the top spot at 20 to 1 uh, from a value perspective. Carolina has has been very vocal. They said, you know, we'll trade Christian McCaffrey. We'll, you know, I know they were just restructured this contract. Uh, they will they will do anything to to get Sean Watson because they understand that to win a quarterback, you need a quarterback. To win a Super Bowl, you need a quarterback of that caliber. And so I do I do believe Carolina at six to one does have some value. I don't I don't love the other ones that you mentioned ahead of them. I mean. Uh, you know the Jets obviously are, are going to be drafting Trevor Lawrence. I feel like 
you know, that is, um, I'm sorry, Jacksonville's going to be dropping Trevor Lawrence. The Jets don't, don't appear to be, in my opinion, um, that, you know, in the trajectory of going after someone like Deshaun Watson, the Dolphins, I think, are going to stick with Tua. So I don't think anyone ahead of Carolina makes any sense. And New England at 20 to 1, I think, is huge value there. He is the Big E. It's Eric Cohen from TSN Edge. You can check out all of his great work and the whole team's work at tsn.ca slash edge. And you have been doing a series, Big E, on MLB futures and how you see the season playing out, where the value is. And let's stick close to home with the Toronto Blue Jays. Where do you think they stand in the American League East? And is there any value proposition in betting them to win the division, the pennant, or even the World Series? Well, I like them a lot more, uh, you know, a few days ago, unfortunately. Uh, the, the Nate Pearson news really was, was just terrible news for this team because now all of a sudden we don't even know if he's ready for opening day. We don't know the lingering effects of the injury. He's had a lot of injury concerns over his very short career, and he's definitely a guy that they need. I mean, after Young Jin Ryu, uh, Pearson is their guy, and they didn't re-sign Taiwan Walker. They didn't re-sign Matt Shoemaker. So the rotation is very thin. Uh, offensively, you know, I love the team. Uh, I feel like, you know, at least the Springer news is, is only day-to-day is, is good news for them. But offensively, they can compete with anybody. The rotation is what scares me. And, you know, I, I did, once the Jays did sign Springer and Simeon, uh, you know, I got them a plus 675 to win the division. I feel like the Yankees are a team, and you can just count on the fact that injuries are going to happen with them because that's the way things have gone the last few years. And now, you know, obviously Aaron Boone had the health scare. Uh, so I just don't think you can pencil in the Yankees the way you could pencil in other teams as far as their, their you know, sure things. So I, I, I love the Jays, and as long as Pearson is back by the beginning of, you know, beginning of the season, doesn't miss too much time, maybe they make another trade for an arm. Uh, I do think the team, you know, has a really good shot to make the playoffs and uh, possibly win the division if the Yankees, go through what they've been through the last couple of years because I just don't think Tampa Bay uh, is nearly as good. Uh, they've taken a step back. Boston will be better, but they aren't anywhere close. And obviously the Orioles are the Orioles. So I think the Jays are the second-best team in the division. And if they can get one more arm and if they can stay healthy, they got a real shot at the division. Biggie, what do you make of the over-under for Vlad Jr., his home run total? It's set at 27.5, and, and we had Scott Mitchell on mm-hmm. last week who thought it was a good number, but definitely believes, considering the stadium circumstances that the Jays will be playing, not in Toronto, of course, that he could be a guy who could blow well over 30. Do you agree? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we've seen what Vlad looks like now. He, he lost 40-something pounds. He's in great shape. He was embarrassed by how he showed up to camp last year and embarrassed by how the year went. And I think there's a lot of motivation for him. There's so much talent around him in the lineup that, uh, you know, you're going to have to pitch to him, obviously. And, you know, with, with the weight loss, if that means he's, he's healthy and he's engaged and he's where he needs to be, that absolutely, there's no doubt Vlad can hit 30 home runs. And you mentioned, obviously, small ballpark. It's a, it's a spring training facility. We don't know how long they're going to be playing there for. My guess is it's going to be for a while at least um, because it doesn't look like any sports are happening in Canada anytime soon. 
So, yes, I do like the over a lot with Vladdy Guerrero's home run total. All right, he is the big E. You can find all his work on TSN Edge. Make sure to follow the Twitter account and follow all of the squad on tsn.ca slash edge. Big E, a pleasure as always, my friend. We will talk to you again soon. Yeah, before I go, how shocked were you this morning, Aaron, about the uh, the Chiefs with Eric Fisher and uh, Mitchell Schwartz? You were all over the fact that they weren't going to win the Super Bowl <laughs> because of the injuries on their offensive line. And now they're gone. Salary well, caps are yeah, going to be well, real tough hits for a lot of teams in the NFL. I think that's part of it. And Eric Fisher, we know the Achilles injury he suffered. We know Mitchell Schwartz, the back injury he was dealing with all last year. I think that also speaks to the fact that Kansas City, looking at those two and being like, I'm not sure how much they can contribute this year, and we can't commit financially to guys, especially on the offensive line where they were burned in the Super Bowl. They need healthy players, and those two... Uh, would not be overly optimistic on them being healthy for the beginning of the season. Cannot wait for September, my man. And again, thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thanks, Aaron. All right. That's the Big E, Eric Cohen from TSN Edge. Another Players' Championship update. Matthew Fitzpatrick, four under through nine. What a start for him. A guy who a lot of people had pegged as someone to watch out for between the 40 and 60 to one range. Okay, so Sunday night. It's the Grammys, and you may be wondering, this is TSN 1050. This is a sports radio station. Why do you care? But there's money to be made. I'll tell you how, and it may have to do with Taylor Swift. That's next on The Edge. This, of course, Taylor Swift's cardigan. Rare, I'm able to combine my two passions, sports betting and Taylor Swift, but this is a rare opportunity to do just that. Welcome back to The Edge. I'm Aaron Korolnik. We'll talk about the Leafs, who are in action tonight against the Winnipeg Jets, and the Raptors back in action tonight as well against the Atlanta Hawks. We'll break down the betting odds on that, but on Sunday night, it's the Grammys, the first big music awards show of 2021, the 63rd annual Grammy Awards, and Taylor Swift, Dua Lipa, Roddy Rich. They lead the way with six Grammy nominations. And we know Taylor Swift released two albums in 2020, Folklore and Evermore. It is Folklore that is listed as the minus 300 favorite to take down album of the year. And people, I'm telling you, it's a lock. It is a lock. This album had the most day one streams for an album on Spotify in the history of the streaming platform. And that hit song, Cardigan, is also favored to win Song of the Year, also a lock. And this is not my Taylor Swift bias shining through. Cardigan at minus 160. Dua Lipa, her song Don't Start Now at plus 325. Beyonce has a song called Black Parade at plus 500. And Billie Eilish, Everything I Wanted at plus 900. Let's bring in our technical producer, Christy Avero, who disagrees with my take on Taylor. 20 fingers, lay on me. Why do you disagree? I'm just going to say that it's very rare for a single artist to sweep the major categories. I think the last one did well, was Adele. So. Well, Chris, and let me tell you, Taylor Swift is a rarity um, who needs to be recognized, and I think she will. And for a good chart performance, Cardigan wasn't the biggest song. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not saying that song is a favorite for song of the year. All right. Well, you heard it from music aficionado and Grammys gambling consultant, Chris 20 Fingers Diavero. I personally believe Taylor takes down song of the year and album of the year. 
And if I'm wrong, we can reconvene on Thursday, and we probably won't mention it. But if I'm right, next week, this time, we'll be talking about her big W. The Raps and Atlanta Hawks. Raps, two-and-a-half-point dogs tonight hosting Atlanta. Remember, Van Vliet, Siakam, OG Ananobi will not play tonight due to COVID protocols. And the Leafs and the Winnipeg Jets, a rematch of the Tuesday game, which which, uh, saw Winnipeg win 4-3, 4-3, to three, a great game. The over is hitting 14 of the last 18 matchups between these two teams, and the Leafs listed as minus 180 favorites in that one. We have Leafs lunch coming up at noon. Matthew Cause on game day at 2 o'clock, of course, overdrive at 4 o'clock, leading into the Raptors and the Hawks here on TSN 1050. Another great day, another great show. Uh, betting thanks to Christy Avero and thanks to all of our guests here on The Edge. We'll be back next Thursday at 10 a.m.